Well, I have uh, an old and lame joke for you this morning. It's the kind Cal loves to tell. What did Jesus say to his disciples at the Last Supper? He probably said some stuff like that. And the first thing he said was, make sure you get on this side if you want to be in the picture. That was pretty good, huh? Yeah, it's not. Yesterday, uh, I went to a uh, Christmas party. Actually, it was like a day-long Christmas party. It just, it was on and on and on. It was great. We had a great time. But what happened? What, what happens around Christmas every year when you get together? I'll give you, go back uh, one slide, just a minute. You eat, you eat. Yeah, you eat, but w- what happens? You take the picture, right? You take the picture. How, how many of you, your favorite part of the Christmas gathering is the picture? Yeah, anybody out there? Like even the photographer, cat, you are lying. <laughs> even the photographer doesn't want to take the picture, right? Because every, you know, none of the kids are going to smile at the same time. They're all whining and complaining. And all the parents are yelling at the children. If you would just stay still for a minute and smile, it would all be over. <laughs> The best part of the picture is when it's over, except what sometimes happened, like also happened this year, is you look through all the pictures you got and say, none of them are good. We have to do it again. (laughs) Oh, no. Carol's glaring at me right now. She's like, that was my picture. (laughs) But uh, those pictures that we take, they're kind of, they're the fantasy, right? And we want a nice picture. There's nothing wrong with wanting the nice picture. We should want the nice picture. I don't want to put the picture on the Christmas card of everybody crying and complaining either. But the picture is often the fantasy. And I think that sometimes when it comes to Christmas, we want the picture. We want the fantasy, don't we? When it comes to Christmas, we want everything to go perfectly. That's part of the picture. That's part of the fantasy. It's not going to go perfectly. Probably tonight, you're going to get home. Maybe you'll be wrapping gifts or something along those lines, and you realize, I forgot to get a gift for somebody. Right? And the fantasy's broken. Maybe you're going to burn dinner tomorrow. I don't know. Maybe your family has already started arguing. Whatever it is, we want the fantasy at Christmas, but we, we rarely get it, do we? And I think that's the danger for us that on, on Christmas, we want to muck out, you know, the animal's area, right? We, we want to make sure that it, it all smells nice. There's no smell, smell of dung or manure anywhere. We, we want the, the hallmark picture of the manger. And folks, it just doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, doesn't Christmas lose its meaning for us if it's the way Hallmark tells us? I don't even, does Hallmark even exist anymore? <laughs> I don't know. So there's probably a whole generation that has no idea what I'm talking about. But I think we want that Hallmark Christmas, and if we do, it'll be ruined. The point of Christmas is that God's son was, there wasn't room for him. And so, most likely, by the way, Jesus uh, wasn't born in an actual stable, like a separate building outside. Most likely, Jesus came to relatives. Joseph and Mary came to relatives in the city of Bethlehem, and uh, they were going to stay with them, and the relatives said, we're sorry, the guest room is full. And guest room is probably a generous way of describing what most people had. 
But there was room because at night, people brought in their animals into their homes to protect them. And there was a little section of the house that was reserved for that. Maybe it was a little, just a little bit lower. You know, there was some sort of mark. And in there, there were the feeding troughs, you know, the little holes in the ground where they put the food for the animals. That's what Jesus had. It's actually in some ways better then we're thinking about it, right? It's not just some you know, anonymous innkeeper's stable out back. We know that's not the case because when the shepherds came, they didn't say, we need to find you someplace better to be. And they would have done that if they were alone and isolated in the back of some Motel 6 somewhere in the parking lot. Most likely, they were in a family home, but there was no room for them at all. And what do you know about family homes when they're crowded? Right, there's arguing, you know, who's going to sleep in the good bed? You know, people back then in this air region of the world were nicer than we are and more hospitable. So they were probably fighting about who gets the best bed, not like, I get it, but no, you take it, you take it. And after a while, it gets a little unpleasant. <laughs> it's like sharing the check at the restaurant. Oh, there's nothing I hate more than fighting over the check at the restaurant, right? Because it's, it's like, I'm going to pay for it. No, I'm going to pay for it, right? And that, I'm just like, can we all just please split it? and quit the arguing. Jesus was born into a real-life situation because he came for real-life people to live our real lives. It's not a Hallmark card. It's just not. And as we've been making our way through the angel's pronouncement to the shepherd, we've seen a few things uh, that maybe we need to be reminded of this Christmas season. We saw uh, that the angel said, do not be afraid. Because when God shows up, that can be a scary thing. Against our expectations, perhaps. But if you stop and think about it, of course it would be. He said, I bring you good news of great joy. And we talked about how sometimes we make our faith into a list of things that you aren't supposed to do. We make our faith into a killjoy instead of remembering it is good news. We talked about how it's for all the people that God is fulfilling his promises to the people of Israel. And in so doing, blessing will go out to the entire world. And as a result, we are meant to be a people of the entire world who love all the people that we meet. Because that's what God does for us in Christmas. And then, here in the fourth week, the last week of Advent, uh, we come to, today is born to you a Savior. A Savior. You know what else we lose in the Hallmark picture? We lose the Savior. Right? Because if... If a Savior is born to us, what does that mean about our situation in life right now? Come on, say it. We need saving, right? We need saving. It's easier to think of the world as a place where we don't need to be saved for a number of reasons, because it lets us avoid the hard truths about the world. Because... Uh, it gives us the illusion that we are in control. I can take care of myself. And when the angel says, today is born to you a savior, he's blowing all that out of the water. Now, the interesting thing is that the people of Israel, the Jews in Jesus' day, they understood that they needed a savior, even if they didn't fully understand what that savior was going to be like. 
Uh, the name Jesus. Remember, that was one of our readings this morning out of the Gospel of Luke, where Mary uh, is confronted with the angel Gabriel, and it says Mary was greatly troubled at the angel's words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. That name, Jesus. It's the same as the name Joshua, by the way, in the Old Testament. In something approaching Hebrew or Aramaic, it's uh, Yeshua, and it's two words together, yeah, from Yahweh, and the last part means saves. Yahweh saves. God saves. That's Jesus' name. And Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was not the only person to have this name in his day. Actually, this was one of the most common names the Jews gave their children. Yahweh saves. And I think it was both because they were remembering their history. We are the people whom Yahweh saved out of slavery in Egypt. But it's also because they are looking to the future and saying, God, <laughs> we need to be saved now. We're tired of living life this way. And so when the angel says to the shepherds, today is born to you a savior, they get all excited and they run into Bethlehem to find the baby who is going to be their savior. A few days later, Mary and Joseph will eventually take Jesus into Jerusalem to be circumcised on the eighth day, if they could. And they meet a man named Simeon. And Simeon, this is also a story from the Gospel of Luke. Simeon was told by God, you will not die until you see Israel's hope. And Simeon is walking around the temple complex and he runs into Mary and Joseph and he sees the baby and he grabs him up. I don't know if it was with permission or not. And he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, today you dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is something people were longing for because they understood that the world that they lived in was not the world that God had desired for them, the world that God had made for them. They were in touch with the fact that things are not okay. Now let me ask you something. Has the world changed that much in 2,000 years? I woke up this morning and, you know, I, I got some problems. But overall, my life is pretty good. It'd be really easy for me to go through each and every day thinking I don't need a Savior. Now, part of that is because I just haven't gotten to some of the hard bits yet. Some of you are closer to the end of your life, and when it comes time to wake up in the morning, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do it. And you might be a little more aware. Your circumstances are reminding you, you need a Savior. Some of you woke up this morning to depression and frustration and anger and separation. And you thought to yourself, I'm tired of living this way. And the good news is that for you this day, it's born a savior. I love Jesus. I love the stories of how Jesus touches people. When Jesus, uh, especially when Jesus cured people of diseases like leprosy. He always made sure to touch them. There's a really important reason for this. The first is that lepers haven't been touched for the entire period of time that they've been lepers. 
It was just, it was like your life is new. Somebody is touching you. Because people were afraid they would catch it. Secondly, Jesus was touching people because when you are a leper, you are unclean. As a matter of fact, the lepers, I think I might have just mentioned this to you recently, but the lepers, when they came into a populated or a crowded place, they actually had to shout to everyone, unclean, unclean, as they walked through so that the crowd could part and no one would touch them. They would get through because their uncleanness was so strong that if you touched them, you would become unclean too. But Jesus says, my purity, my cleanness is so strong that when I touch you, you don't make me dirty. I make you clean. And you're here this morning, maybe, and you, you woke up and you were feeling unclean and you're feeling broken and you were feeling lost. And folks, Jesus has been born. A savior has been born to you who is willing to touch you, touch your body, touch your heart, touch your mind, and make all the broken bits whole again. And it's something that only God can do. To you this day is born a savior. Remember, the Jews had been naming their kids Jesus for hundreds and hundreds of years. There had been so many Jesus-like people who had come along, Jesus-light people, maybe, who had come along, who had promised we're going to make this better. One of my favorite stories, uh, again, is the story of Noah's birth in Genesis, uh, either chapter 5 or 6. 6 is the flood. I don't remember if the genealogy is in chapter 5 or chapter 6. But in any case, I... Noah is born, and his dad says about them, he was born into a hard world. You can tell by what his dad says. Finally, here is the one who's been born who will save us from the labor of our hands. And if, you, if you're paying attention to the context of Genesis, what Noah's dad is saying, here's our Savior who is going to take us back to Eden who's going to make the world right again. God will do something through him, or Noah will do something. I don't know how it works, but this is the one. And you remember what happens, of course, in Noah's life. Did Noah take everyone back to Eden? No. No. Noah is saved alone, him and his family, through the flood. So much for a savior. Oh, and... By the way, after Noah and his family are saved, there's this whole weird incident about someone drunk and naked in a tent and children who might be molesting him. We sent all the kids off to Sunday school. We can talk about that, I guess. I don't want to. Let's move on. In any case, you have all of these pseudo-saviors who come along, all of these people who come and say, it's me, I'll take care of it, I'll fix your problems, and none of them have. Well, it might get better for a little while, and I'm grateful. That's, I'm not trying to poo-poo that. But did you hear what Kayla read for us out of Isaiah? I, even I, am the Lord, am Yahweh. That's the name he uses there. And apart from me, there is no Savior. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. This morning, let's be reminded we are not our own saviors, our neighbor's savior. 
our city's savior, our county's savior, our state's savior, our country's savior, much less the world's savior. Let's be reminded that we ourselves need saving. And that would be a scary thing, except that today a savior has been born to you.